Welcome in to another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Nick Baumgartner. You can get us on the Athletic app ad-free, as well as at uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all the usual spots. Uh, Nick, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't even know. I tweeted out as soon as that game ended, like, I don't even know what's left to say at this point. Uh, even when you expect expect bad things to happen to this franchise that was like a level beyond fourth and 19 and then a 66 yard field goal I, I don't know how do you process what happened at the end of that one did it have to hit the crossbar like, <laughs> I mean, like that was and then my thing i was like come on i was actually i had the binoculars out and i was just watching campbell right so i didn't actually watch the ball live because i just wanted to see his reaction if they'd won uh to see kind of what you know, on the sideline there. But so I, I just kind of watched him dip his head and I looked up and I was like, and I think I asked you, I was like, did he make it? He's like, you're like, yeah, he made it. And I like look at the replay. I'm like, did it have to hit the the crossbar too? Like what the yeah. hell? It's funny. Um, we were downstairs uh, and waiting for uh, press conferences to start. And you were in the main room there with uh, waiting for Campbell and me and a couple others were on the other room waiting for some other people. And Tucker came out of the locker room with the football that he, you know, and it was like taking a phone call and we're just kind of standing there watching him like, what's going on? Like, what is happening here? And someone's like, just take the ball and pop it. Like, go up to him and ask him, like, why do you hate this city? <laughs> or whatever. And you're just like, I don't know, folks. That's a tough one. Uh, yeah. No explanation. That's I love him brutal. just lurking in the hallway down there. <laughs> yeah, That's great. Like, that... Who's he on the phone with right now? Like, kicking monthly? I'm like, what is going on? Like, what I remember... I think it was the Falcons game, the 10-second t- the yeah. runoff game. You know, the oh, Lions God. thought they yeah. had won, and then they, they ruled Golden Tate down. Uh, right. That same hallway, because, like, the Lions, the press conference right, yeah. room's up at the top, <laughs> and then the Lions locker room that ramp, yeah. is down the hallway, and then the visitors' locker room's, like, kind of tucked in between. And uh, after the Fal- that Falcons 10-second runoff game, you know, they were, like, wheeling in the food for the players, and the yeah. hot cart caught on fire. <laughs> <just> like... <laughs> smoking out everyone in there so some weird stuff history has happened in that hallway i tell you what over the years my god so another one for the books yeah i mean what a (laughs) i don't know what to say i mean the delay a game thing before you know i don't know if anyone's gotten an answer on that no like not yet i mean that's campbell's point though right i mean like he said it after the game it does not matter what their answer is going to be they don't know right they don't have one. They're just going to fumble around until they can come up with some answer that's like a half-assed apology, and then they move forward. Like that's, you know, I don't know. John Harbaugh gave some uh, some explanation. I guess I haven't read it all, but uh, I was talking to Jeff Rieger uh, standing around the hallway there, that aforementioned hallway, and he'd said that John Harbaugh <laughs> said something to the effect of, "Well, that would be impossible. That there would be a delay of game." And I was yeah. like, "Well, John, it happened." I think. trying to so. find it now to see if I can. <laughs> It's like what? So it was a lot. There was a lot going on there in the last uh, minute, but um, yeah, a tough one. I, you know, just. But also, you know, when we think about challenges for this team, and we think about like, you know, critical spots and you know things for them to overcome as a young group, I, you don't want anyone to have to kind of gut through something like that. But like, this is a test of your resolve, like anything else yep. would be, and I think that it's a test of your resolve in a way that maybe. We didn't expect externally because, Chris, I think that the Lions uh, are probably better than people might have thought in some areas. And it's um, – they're not good, but, like, they're bothering people. 
and they're annoying people and they're in the way. And like, I, you know, I think that's exactly what you want. This has been, this has been a solid start, I think, for Dan Campbell, Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn. And I think that's my biggest takeaway here today, apart from all the craziness. And I know we can get into all of it, but that's sort of where I'm at right now. Yeah. I mean, they got... They got pretty fortunate in the first half that it was they only absolutely 10 did. I mean, mm-hmm. it could have been 24, 27 to nothing. The Ravens dropped some passes. They made some mistakes they don't usually make. Like that could have been that could yep. have been closer to what the 49ers game was. You know, when you're down 28, it's just kind of over. Mm-hmm. And then, the, you know, the 49ers yes, team, they totally. obviously scrapped back in it late. But um, that could have been uh, a blowout early. But, you know, again, credit to the Lions for sort of taking advantage of the Ravens letting them hang around. They made some really good offensive adjustments at halftime and came Big back time. out and, and started feeding DeAndre Swift and gave the Ravens some trouble there. Um, got some stops. I mean, I think the defense, it's not there yet, but you're starting to see why they were so high on this defensive line and why mm-hmm. they thought that defensive line could be not a dominant unit, but something that just sort of kept you in the game because they're doing a pretty good job against the run. And they did a really good job boxing in Lamar Jackson. Other than the, he had the one like thirty yard yeah. scramble. That was pretty much it. You know they played pretty well up front. The linebackers looked better, and the DBs for the most part are holding up with, you know, a bunch of guys out there that they weren't expecting to play really this year. So I, I do think that you take some positives from it. I, I don't know. I mean, at some point you got to get one of these. Um, yeah, right. If yeah. you're going to keep scratching and clawing, because this is also, like you said, I think this is a good test because I, it was kind of impossible to watch the end of that game and not think back to the the game against the Chiefs at four exactly. a yeah, couple right. years ago because it was the I think it might have been week three I think it or week four it was like the same bio. time yeah. of the year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. September they weren't supposed to be in that game played really well were at it, in it at the end forced them to fourth down couldn't finish. And yeah, then should, should the wheels won. just totally fell off on that season. They went to Green Bay. They had the you know hands to the face game, um, like those two games. They never reco- the whole Matt Patricia regime never recovered from those two games. And so this is sort of one of those moments you bookmark and say, well, let's see how they look Sunday in Chicago, and let's see how they look three four weeks from now if if they don't pick up a win because we're gonna find out. Like the vibes have been great. Mm-hmm. Everyone's saying the right things. They're obviously playing hard, but we're going to find out, you know, if this is something that's going to stick for the next three and a half months right. or if we're going to start seeing a team that, you know, looks like a 2-15 team or something like that. And it's interesting, you know, that Chiefs game is like really in my mind the last time I can think where the Lions played reasonably solid defense against, you know, uh, a formidable opponent. I mean, that's really the last time I can remember in my head that we went went through a game and looked it back and said, you know, there were mistakes made by the offense, but like you said, Chris, I mean, they hung in there. Like Romeo Aquara, probably time to just crown him as the Lions' best defensive player. He was outstanding, I thought, in that game. He was all over the place. Yeah, he was so good. The job that he did on the edge, uh, and he wasn't alone, of course, but he was the main guy. I mean, he was out there for every snap. I mean, the the job he did on the edge to contain Lamar, but not just that. You know, and it wasn't just Romeo, but you saw all those defensive linemen chasing Nick Williams. I saw him doing it a few times, chasing back after, you know, after you get blocked, getting off the block and then still chasing and finding him. And, you know, it's one of those things like we were talking in the box, like at one point, 
you thought they were doing such a great job on him, and you looked up, and Lamar still had like 60 yards rushing on like five carries, and you're like, that's just how it is, and that's how hard this is. So from an effort standpoint, that was outstanding. Uh, I think the communication stuff and everything is still absolutely a work in progress, but you could see why they needed to get more speed in the middle. You know, you can see why a guy like Derek Barnes helps. You can see why a guy like Jalen Reeves-Maben helps in, in some of those spots. So, I mean, you couldn't help but be encouraged by the play of the front seven, I think, Chris, in general. I mean, we can talk about the secondary here, but the, and you mentioned the defensive line, but I think I would add the linebackers into that too because Barnes wasn't perfect, um, and we can talk more about him, but, like, it was enough and it was what you wanted, and it's, it's you know, it's your guys are flying to the ball, and I think we haven't seen that in a while, and that's what that's what that looked like to me on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I thought Anzalone played really well. Um, for the most part, again, there Campbell pointed it out. There are some still some huge breakdowns on those plays between the second and third levels where the linebackers yeah. and DBs are just for whatever reason. This has been going on for years and years with this yeah, team. Right. <laughs> you know, just can't cover those guys. Mark Andrews. There were a few that Jackson didn't even throw it to him, and he was just sort of strolling through the secondary with no one in sight. Uh, they just couldn't find him. So that, that's something to clean up. I think we saw Barnes get burned on a couple of those too. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. And I think hey, you mentioned it either Sunday or one of the practice days. I can't remember. But like this is circles back to the, the question of uh, – why Jalen Reeves-Maven never really got a shot yeah, with Matt God. Patricia. We kept wondering, you know, and kept asking Patricia, and it was sort of always this – it wasn't even really a secret that he was maybe their most athletic linebacker. He was mm -hmm. their best coverage guy, and they kept getting smoked in the in the previous defense in those areas, and just because Reeves-Maven weighs 225 and not 260, they wouldn't play him. But right, yeah. there's clearly something there that works – with modern and against modern NFL offenses. So I, I think that that was a good move to get him some time. And yeah, the front, uh, this was also something you brought up, I think pertaining to Nick Williams, that it did seem to be part of the game plan that mm -hmm. when they, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice for some reason this week, oh, but when they, uh, when they weren't getting home, they weren't just aimlessly doing stuff. Right. Nick Williams kept, you know, dropping and filling a lane so Jackson couldn't escape. They'd used Julian Okoro was only out there for 10 snaps, and I think he rushed the passer like six or seven times. But on one or two of the other ones, right. he was dropping into kind of zone coverage. And once Jackson, I think his first read was right behind Julian, looked right at him, kind of freaked out for a second, and then just right. took off and got like two yards. So. There was a good plan to keep Jackson in check, and I think they executed it pretty well up front. You're also getting, like, Michael Brockers played pretty well, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, and Charles Harris too, played yeah. pretty well. So you're All getting some guys. effort for these guys. Yeah, I think you got, in a, and we mentioned that too in our in our post game, um, that, you know, Trey Flowers didn't play in this game. And, I mean, you couldn't have known. I mean, I <laughs> it was news to me afterward. I mean, you barely <laughs> felt it. And I mean, Charles Harris plays 45 snaps and plays pretty darn well, right? Like when the, I remember when training camp started and we were looking at like, who are you going to keep? Who are they going to keep here? And I'm, we kept talking about Charles Harris and it's like, I think they're probably going to really try hard to keep a guy like Harris because of a couple different things he can do for you from a pass rush standpoint, speed on the edge and just disruption. And they're getting more disruption. I think that that's something that clearly we never saw from the Patricia defenses where it was, you know, 
so much more about play a technique, play a gap, just hold and let the linebackers clean everything up. I mean, like we talked to Aaron Glenn in the offseason and he was very clear about, you know, I want guys up front to create disruption. I want them to close gaps. I want them to seal things off so that our linebackers don't have to worry about it so we can play with 230-pound guys that can run and can cover space sideline to sideline. And all three guys that, you know, we're, we're filling in the inside – and Reeves Maven, Anzalone, and uh, Derek Barnes, all of them can run. All of them are plus athletes. They're all modern linebackers. And for the first time in a long time, the Lions walked out there and played defense with 11 players <laughs> that were modern NFL football players. And I think that that's <laughs> yeah. like a start, right? Like we talk about little things, I'll take it. And I know we wanted to start the show talking about the way that this staff has gotten through this this season, and I mean, it's interesting. I think I saw that Jeff Schwartz, who's a great follow on Twitter, tweeted after week one or week two that the Lions are the example of a bad, uh, good bad team. Mm-hmm. They are a positive attitude, hardworking, young, well coached bad football team <laughs> right. that is going to give teams that are sloughing off or lost or broken later in the year. If this effort keeps up, the Lions are going to steal games. And I don't know how many, maybe more than you want them to. They might steal on this weekend. They (laughs) might get one on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, they could could still go 1-16, right? But, like, I don't know. But there's something here with the the work and everything else that's sticking and – I think uh, the staff. I mean, the, the coordinators, Chris. I mean, they, they have they have to get a lot of credit here. Yeah, and I mean, I said to you, like, I yeah, they could maybe this lasts for a while. Maybe they start zero and eight. But I also look at the schedule. Like, they've got Chicago's uh-huh. a disaster. Minnesota beat Seattle, but that's I don't know that that's that good of a team. Um, exactly. You know, they got Cincinnati, Philadelphia is a mess. Pittsburgh's a mess. Like, they definitely could oh, yeah. pick up two or three or four here in the next you know seven weeks and and kind of be pretty interesting with it they also could lose all of them (laughs) i mean they're sort of in that you know we've talked about the the rebuild like the city-wide rebuild and and i think a lot of people have compared what's happened with the lions to what the pistons went through and you definitely see that like Mm -hmm. gm comes in it's like i don't want any of these guys that were here that's it yeah right (laughs) let's get rid of all of them let's get the draft picks let's you know let the coaches coach we're just going to be a pain in everyone's ass for a year and then we'll worry about competing and i think mm-hmm. like you said i think you're right i think that that is what's going on right now uh you know again you want to you need to get one at some point just to make right, everyone feel do. better um and i guess that that kind of transitions us in we're talking about the coordinators here i did want to talk about aaron glenn's scheme and then a little bit about the fourth and 19 play but on the yeah. scheme it was I think when it was an obvious passing down, a lot of it looked familiar. The Lions were kind of playing, you know, mm-hmm. a, a little bit of that shell, making sure nothing was good over the top. Yep. Early downs, they did a lot more of what they said they were going to have to do, which is, you know, walk a safety up and make sure they were covering all those run fits. It was usually Harris when he was on the field or Dean Marlowe when he was on the field. And then when mm-hmm. they were out there together, it, it was either or. But I thought that was effective. And I thought they did a pretty good job, again, of. They didn't really they didn't get gashed by any means in the run game. I think they put Baltimore into a lot of uncomfortable, you know, second and third down spots and so this was a, a game where I thought Aaron Glenn's scheme worked pretty well and I get I get the sense that he's starting to feel it a little bit with what he has and so what too, works yeah. with this group. And I would also add this is the best 
the Lions secondary has tackled um, maybe since I've been covering the team. Yeah, that's a good point. I, like, to be yeah. fair, and I think that I assume that Aaron Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant really challenged those guys uh, because, like you said, Chris, at the beginning of the game, not at the beginning of the game, the whole game, when the Ravens are coming out in those pistol looks or when they're loaded up, and you know, and the Ravens are – they're one of those teams where you don't have to guess a lot. You know, A lot of times they make it easier for you – defensively because I don't think you have to guess when they're going to run the ball you know they're going to run the ball it's just a matter of what they're going to do right so when you bring the safety down and Campbell talked about early last week you know you got to be gapped up you got to make sure every gap's taken care of and when you are in your gap you have to tackle or you're going to give up 500 rushing yards in this game so like (laughs) that was the situation and you go down the list and you know Will Harris is still is still struggling in some areas but we can't keep going here as much as we've dogged on him without noting that his tackling's been much better. Uh, it's not perfect, but it was better in this game. His run defense was very good in this game. Tracy Walker's having a very good start to the season. I think Orari tackled better in this game, and then Dean Marlowe is bringing, I think we expected that from him. So that was very noticeable to me, that you had the effort, and you got the tackling, and then, yeah, it all fit together because every time they had to be in a passing situation and the Lions were able to force them into more of those. We noticed that too. You know, you're better on first down. That's going to lead to a longer, you know, uh, to go on third down. So every time they're in a passing situation, you know, Glenn made sure, you know, that Lamar's looking into that shell, which is not ideal, not what you want. And, you know, you lost a tight end a few times, but for the most part, I think they made it, they didn't give them anything easy, you know, like they got burned some, but for the most part, I think the Ravens had to earn everything they got. And that's kind of what you want to do. Well, this is that's coaching too, not just the you know fundamentals of tackling, but I think like Will Harris's usage in this defense. You know, there were times in that Patricia defense where he was he was playing single high, he mm-hmm. was carrying tight ends thirty yards downfield on go routes. Like this yeah, is stuff he can't be doing. But you put him in the box and let's right. just say be an extra linebacker for us and go tackle, and he's still pretty useful. And they like him, and that that's. Sort of when they were hyping him up in training camp, that's a lot of what he was doing well was reading those run plays and filling a gap and helping out there. So I think that that all, again, that to me goes back to uh, the coaching and just sort of knowing what your personnel is and how to use it. And it's not perfect. You know, some right. of that stuff you're mentioning, like Derek Barnes. Um, you know, I, I think some of the coverage busts or whatever you want to call them, the Lions will fix those. That was something Campbell said they were going to stress all week. So that should get better. Some of the stuff against the run is, you know, what what we mentioned when we went back and watched this film from Purdue. Like occasionally, yes, you know, he'll let guys get into him and just sort of walk him back like five, six, seven, eight yards. And we saw that a couple times. Right. Um, on Sunday. So that's going to have to be better. Like he's got to be better and be more physical if he's going to be playing in there because that lack of physicality is one of the reasons why Jamie Collins wasn't working out. So they're going to need to see some improvement there. But first start, I thought he was fine. And I, I really think that just the, again, the overall game plan there made a lot of sense. Like if you're going to lose to the Ravens, at least just at least make them try to throw the football and they'll probably beat you a lot of the time because they're still really good at throwing the football but yeah i think that's how you want to go down you don't want to give up six yards of carry you're gonna you're right. gonna get killed we said it last week in any and it and it holds up 
against every opponent you're playing, and it's just different for every opponent. But it was the same thing with Rodgers. You make him take the long way. Make them do it the hard way. Make them go the full 12 plays because, you know, through the course of 12 plays, I mean, what if somebody jumps off sides, right? What if somebody holds and ruins it? I mean, make them go the long way so that the odds of them screwing something up are greater. And frankly, that's what happened in this game. Like, that's what happened in (laughs) this game. Aaron Glenn didn't flinch. He said, we're going to make you go the long way and we're going to make you play every call and we're going to make you finish every single play. You're not just going to get it. And I don't think the Ravens are the best team, you know, the best Ravens team John Harbaugh's ever had. And, And the Ravens teams usually are better in... November and December, right, than they are in September. I think he would even tell you that. But there's talent on that team. They're going to be a playoff contender, I would I would assume, at some on some level to some degree. And the Lions went into a game with Bobby Price playing corner, <laughs> A.J. Parker playing slot corner, uh, rookies all over the place. And the plan from both coordinators and the head coach was perfect, again, all three weeks, I've had no issue with their plan. Everything these three guys have done from an organizational standpoint, from, uh, you know, the calls they're making on the field, obviously everything isn't perfect, right? Every decision isn't perfect. I shouldn't say that. But the basic structure of how they're approaching every game, from monitoring the clock, making sure they're in the right spots and all this, and it's a lot. I, I got to tell you, I don't have a lot to really complain about here or nitpick at because... This is a very difficult job. And we talk about that 4th and 19, Chris. Like, the Lions took a timeout right before that. Lamar Jackson talked about, you know, that helped him a ton because he's exhausted. The line's exhausted. You know, like, that gives him another shot to go in there and make a play. Maybe you don't want to take a timeout there. Maybe that's a mistake. Maybe you, you overthought yourself. But at the same time, I find it difficult to really nitpick on these guys because every single second in every game has to be has to be measured. They're at such a talent imbalance that they're measuring every play and they mismeasured this game by like 10 seconds. That's how I felt at the end. And, you know, it was a tough one, I think, for the staff as much as anybody else because they I think they earned that win as much as anyone else on the on the team or in the building. Yeah, and, and we we talked as, even about the kickoff, you know, that they're kicking yeah. off to a really dangerous return tough guy, one. Tough one. someone who's had some big returns all year. But you boom it through the end zone there and you save – seven or eight seconds there yeah, and then you right, end up exactly. losing at the end by seven or eight seconds so <laughs> yeah. um yeah i mean it, it it does get there's a pretty fine line at the end of things um the fourth and 19 i did want to unpack a little bit i don't want to harp on it too much because yeah. i think there were there were a lot of other things that were more important than that one particular play but like you said they call the timeout lamar said afterwards like we were tired, we were kind of scrambling around. They didn't have a timeout to stop mm-hmm. the clock and get their call figured out. They changed the play call after they called the timeout. The crowd was just losing its mind before right. the fourth and I mean they still were after the timeout, oh, yeah, but time. I think it was probably it was maybe it was a little louder before. Been, you know, right, right. Um and I I think to your point, a lot of that happened because they just wanted to try to get into the right spot. And we heard from someone, you and I talked to someone who yeah. was down on the sideline. It was like, they were, there were guys out there who didn't know what they were no, supposed they were to lost. be doing. Yeah. Like they were <laughs> having their own trouble getting the play calling, getting it communicated. Like I said, it was very loud. Guys were all over the field because they were, you know, they were playing 30 yards deep and they were mm-hmm. sideline to sideline. They weren't in a huddle at that point, really. So Alex Anzalone is trying to communicate a play call to, yeah, they just couldn't you know, a bunch in. of guys he's barely played with. 
uh, while the crowd's at 120 decibels and the whole defense is spread out. So I get it. I think the it's thing hard. that yeah. killed them, that kills the coaching staff, and you talk about being frustrated by letting them get away, is that they call timeout to try to settle it, to get the call that they want. Right. And then, as Campbell said, <laughs> 10 of 11 guys then went out and executed the call they wanted. Exactly. One guy didn't. He didn't specify which one, so we can talk about that a little bit. Uh-huh. But one guy didn't, and that's where the throw went, and you give up 30 yards and you lose the game. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, I what do you do? <laughs> so, really? So your instinct there clearly is to just let them play. And right, in, in, a, in a normal situation, like if you've got veterans out there, let's say you even got like a moderately young defense with like, you've got a veteran safety, a veteran corner, a veteran linebacker, and you've got enough guys to get people organized and just go play, right? Like even if you don't get the call perfect, everybody kind of knows what they're doing. So we know the situation here. It's fourth and 19. They got to go a long way. Just go play. The crowd's loud. They're exhausted. Odds are they're going to screw this up more than we are. That's not what the Lions are. That's not the life the Lions are living here. And I think that that's sort of the the thing that you're in is that they don't have the luxury of saying, just go play because we'll know how to kind of get through this because they don't, they don't have, <laughs> they can't say that. They can't because clearly, like Campbell says, we called timeout to reset ourselves because we weren't going to get it in. And 10 of 11 guys went out and, r- and ran the call right. If they hadn't done that, their fear was that 6 of 11 guys were going to go out there and run right. the call right. And it was going to be go a, touchdown. a touchdown. or something. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. on 4th and 19. So that is what they're dealing with on a play-to-play basis. Every play throughout the entire football game. Like that's that's, I think when Chris and I talk about how they're measuring and kind of like managing the game as a staff, that is what we're talking about. Like the play earlier in the half when the crowd booed uh, on the fourth and six, when I think it was fourth and one, somebody jumps off sides. Yeah. The ball, remember this? The ball's on the other side of the 50. They're in mm-hmm. Lions territory or in the opponent territory. And uh, Campbell sent the offense back out there on a fourth and six and it looked like they're going to try to draw them off sides or whatever. And I'm like, no, I think they're just going to kill the clock, go delay a game and punt because, you know, obviously it gives Fox more room, but also like they need the time. <laughs> they need to kill the clock. Like this is. For later in the game, and every single thing they do all game long has to matter, and it's obviously exhausting, but that's the job, and that's the thing. They're in a lot of these, like, what do you do? They get put in these spots in these tight games where, yeah, at some point you're going to – but that's the other part of it. Like like we said earlier, Chris, like at some point you're going to need to get yourself in a situation where you can go play a call there and hope that 10 of 11 figure it out and you're okay and – you know, they're not there yet. And I, I understand it, but it's a tough, you know, it's a tough deal in the moment. And what do you do? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would have, I was with you. I would have liked to see them play it out. Cause I think yeah. your default there, even with young guys, I think the default there is just get deep. And yeah, just get deep. like if your, if your play call there is, if it only gets to Anzalone and the linebackers and the defensive line and, your instruction to the defensive backs, if you're just standing on the sidelines, waving your arms back towards the end zone and telling them to play deep, I still think that that's fine in that moment because I don't, you know, like that's the only thing you cannot give up there is a bomb over the top. Mm -hmm. I think the default from the defensive backs, like you still had Walker and Harris and Orwarier out there. It wasn't all guys who were playing like for the first time ever. Like I think that they would have had enough sense to play that the way you needed to. And then on top of it, the Ravens were just 
kind of all over the place. They had no idea what they were doing in that moment. And right. I would have been very hard for them to convert uh, a fourth and 19 there. And also, I think the if you give up 20 instead of 35, <laughs> you still win the game. And so exactly. that was my other exactly my other like minor point of contention there is, as I said, I don't we never got an exact answer for who's who the one the lone wolf was on that play, <laughs> you know, and so to sort of set it up, they had the Ravens had two receivers. I think it was Duvernay and Brown to the left. They had mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins to the right. Uh, there was a fourth receiver that motioned. I think he motioned across the backfield. I can't remember which guy yep. that was, but two, two of the receivers ran really deep. One, like I think it was Duvernay ran like a 45 yard, 50 yard deep post that the lions covered with a couple guys. Mm-hmm. Bobby Price was on Watkins the snap, mm-hmm. and then Sammy Watkins ran that deep over that we saw him get open on at the end. Will Harris and Tracy Walker were defending the first down line. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back and watch that play, Tracy Walker standing right in the middle of the field, exactly on the line. Yeah. And so my inclination is that that's where both those safeties were supposed to be. And Harris was responsible for picking up anyone who came across the middle like that. But I don't I don't know for sure that it was Will Harris that screwed up. Uh, and I also would, if we're going to nitpick here, I guess I would kind of question needing to defend the first down line in the middle of the field there because you don't want them to convert. Yeah. But if they convert right to the first down line in the middle of the field, you still win that game. Right. So I don't know. Again, like I don't want to nitpick too much. I think Aaron Glenn called a great game. Yeah. But something went wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think exactly what they were worried about happened. I mean, because I think you called time out there too to also remind your guys like uh, this kicker over here is not just a dude. He's not the guy we've got. Okay. He (laughs) he can kick the ball like seventy goddamn yards if we give him a chance. So yes, you can't. You can't get beat deep, but also like we've got to be a little bit more wary of like you can't give up 35 or 40 here either, right? Like because range is not really a thing with this guy. So, but all the things that they were worried about happening if they didn't call a timeout happened anyway. And it's like a bust is a bust no matter how you look at it and whose fault, you know, if it's Bobby Price or somebody else getting too deep or whatever, doesn't matter. A bust is a bust. And like Campbell said, you know, they've got to go a long way on fourth and 19 and something goes wrong there. And that's, but that's also like, I would say this, you know, Aaron Glenn, I think has been very good through three games, but he's also had something in every game that we've talked about. And it was the same uh, last week with the Packers where the minute he brought that safety down on third and 12, Aaron Rodgers found it and burned him. Like, I think that, you know, and Aaron Glenn said this three or four weeks ago that he was really eager to go into this beginning stretch of football here this season because it was going to be Kyle Shanahan, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar, and the Ravens. So his defense and him as a play caller was going to get tested by, you know, stretch and cut, Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, all the stuff that Lamar and the Ravens do. So he was eager to test where he was at as a play caller for the first time ever against three of the most challenging and unique attacks. And I think, by and large, he does pretty well. But also, like, I think he probably learned lessons in there, too, about the game that a defensive coordinator is playing against the other quarterback and offensive coordinator every time out. So I'm super curious to see how, like, Aaron Glenn plays the Packers the second time. And I'm curious to see, you know, how some of these calls come up as we go forward in some of these big spots. Because 
I think we've seen he's called very, you know, he's been very good. You know, I think in a lot of areas, you can't really argue that. But also there's been something every week that he would probably say, I'd like that back. And it's been curious to see kind of that evolve too. And it's been, um, that's been something to watch. And I think something to sort of monitor as we go forward too. Okay. So we talked about Glenn. Let's talk about Anthony Lynn because there's been a lot of really good stuff there too. And we've also had, you know, the second half against the Packers, the Mm -hmm. offense kind of vanished the first half against the Ravens, the offense kind of vanished. So what do you like and what don't you like on offense and with the play calling and the game plan so far? So I, when the offense has been bad, it's been turnovers and, um, by the quarterback and uh golf not making not making good throws or struggling with pressure and you know it's important to note too and we talked about this before we started recording like golf Jared Goff is dealing with the same limitations that Anthony Lynn is dealing with right so the receivers are not good um they're not they're still without they're, you know I'll just say that for what it is the receivers are not good they're still without Tyrell Williams who is the only deep threat that you have left here and you know, everybody likes how hard Cleef Freeman plays, and I think Cleef Freeman's a nice a nice player and a guy who's earned his spot on this team, but, like, he's not an outside receiver threat, and he's trying to run deep routes, and it's not going to work. So he's dealing with all the same things that Anthony Lynn's dealing with, but he's also dealing with, you know, Goff, that is. He's dealing with confidence, you know, issues. It comes and goes. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. And I think we're still seeing that that sort of comes and goes. So it's, it's Lynn's job to read that, and make sure that Goff's in good spots and make sure that the offense, like we said earlier with, with same thing with Dan Campbell and uh, Aaron Glenn, you've got to measure every single call that you're making. And I think that all the adjustments he's made have been what they need to be when it's been time to get the ball to some, you know, to, to get the ball down to the backs and let them work. That's what they've done. They've found ways to keep themselves in striking distance in games to make sure that they have the run as like a viable option. I think that's what I've been landing on. The longer the Lions can get into a game where the run is still something that Lynn can go to, they are hard to defend because his screen stuff is really good. His outside zone stuff is really good. And he knows, and I think the whole staff knows that Swift, if you can get him consistent, like there's a little Kamara to him. Like you can do a lot with DeAndre Swift to get yourself down the field and he can bail you out in some spots, and I think Lynn knows that. And the way that they used him in the second half, I thought was outstanding. The way that they got Goff in good situations. I mean, he was like, I think he had one incompletion in the second half, right? So he's he's feeling good. I mean, it was great. I thought, uh, we said at the end, give him a game ball, no matter how this ends. Because all things considered, I thought the main reason why they were still in it at the end was how Lynn called the second half. And I thought it was a terrific performance by him and, and another really good start uh, by a coordinator here. Yeah, well, and I think you can see again that you know we talk about the receivers a lot, and it certainly would help to have yeah, one right. guy like Tyrell Williams. Yeah, right. Tyrell Williams isn't you know a top tier wide receiver necessarily in this league, but on this offense, losing him was a huge setback because yeah. he was he could get vertical. He also was their most consistent guy running deep over the middle of the field. Like he was Goff's favorite target at receiver, so. You take him out of the lineup, and that's a big hit. Now you got a bunch of guys you don't really know all that much about. Mm-hmm. Goff only threw two balls over 20 yards in that game. One was uh, Cephas drew a pass interference, and yeah. the other one 
if you have Tyrell Williams running that route instead of Khalif Raymond, yep. it's probably a touchdown. Yep. Uh, because Khalif Raymond got bumped a little bit, but didn't finish that play, couldn't couldn't get back to the ball. But you had one on one with a cornerback who'd never found the football and no safety help. Like you had exactly what you wanted on that right. play, and then Goff made a good throw. Yeah, perfect. Raymond just got bumped off his route a tiny bit, and that was it. So if you have someone else running that, even like Trinity Benson maybe or someone Mm -hmm. makes that play. So we can come back to the receivers uh, in a minute because I'm I'm working on something for this week about, you know, it's it's been interesting. People keep bringing up in the comments, well, you know, how do you even evaluate Goff with the receivers? And I think it's an interesting question. uh, So I do want to come back to it. But Swift – you're right, man. When he's yeah. going like that, and you know, they said, "Well, we just wanted to feed the hot hand, whatever." But well, there's that's got to be that's it. Like this offense can, like you can run an offense primarily through a back like that and a tight end like Hawkinson and Absolutely. figure out the rest. And Absolutely. I think we saw that. That's what happened in the second half. Like they just could not. If you get Swift into the open field, even against two defenders, he's going to get you some yards because he's yeah. that good. So. That was a yeah. The, the halftime adjustments to get him more involved uh, were great. I mean, I said it during the game, and I'll say it again. Uh, probably wrote it afterward. I don't care how they get there, but Swift needs twenty to twenty-five touches every single game the rest of the way. Yep. And I would say that you know Jamal Williams is probably in that fifteen range, somewhere in there, fifteen to twenty. If you want to, you know, and that can be. Even split, 10 and 10, carry and catch. I don't care. I don't care how you get there. But, like, Swift needs to touch the ball in the 20s, I think, every game. And I think that the Lions know that. I think that my read on this has been that the Lions know how talented DeAndre Swift is. They want DeAndre Swift to be more consistent and really become a star. Because I think that they – I think he can. I think he can. I think that everybody sees what he does with the ball in open space and knows – like some of those cuts he made, uh, there was one he made with two guys coming on him that I was like, he looked like he just disappeared and reappeared three <laughs> yards ahead. You know, like yeah. what the hell was that? Did you just like vanish underneath the field? Like he is very good in short, tight, like the short area quickness is outstanding. He's hard to tackle in space. Like, and we talked about this in the winter, like Anthony Lynn's stuff that they did with the Bills that they did with uh, San Diego or the Chargers, I should say, Swift is perfect for it. Like, he's perfect for all of it. Like, he can do all of it if you can get another compliment back here with, you know, which is what they have with Williams. Those guys in Hawkinson, you get one more deep thread over the top and you get Goff kind of in spots that you want him to be in and you suddenly have an offense that's capable of really bothering people. And I and I think that those are things that if you're trying to get excited about something, that's what it is. I mean, Swift... Has what it takes. I think we've seen that. But it, it does have to be more consistent. And I think the Lions are continuing <clears> to challenge him and not just crown him as a superstar. Because I think they're certainly cautious about that, too. Because right. I think DeAndre needs to be pushed probably to a little bit in this in this case. And, and shown that, man, you can be really, really good. But we need to see it, you know, every single time you're out there. And, you know, so far, so good. Uh, I would like to see more of that, uh, if nothing else, going forward here. I think you would probably agree, but uh, I guess I'd oh, ask yeah. you the same thing. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And Lomas Brown, uh, you know, the Lions legendary tackle, yeah. uh, color commentator on radio, um, has told me before that some of the Swift runs remind him yeah. of Barry. Right. 
just the way he, you know, it's designed to go to the left. And he says, oh, I, nope, yeah. we're not doing that. And he right. just goes back <laughs> the other way and he gets you five yards. And they're different. Uh, they're different players in a lot of ways, obviously. And right. I certainly would not put DeAndre Swift in the right. Sanders category. But uh, I get, you know, some of the vision stuff. Some of the, I think the best thing, the thing that I like the most about Swift, you mentioned the cuts, is there are a lot of backs who need to, bring it to a halt and cut oh, yeah, and then get right. going again. He does it at full speed. Yeah, he can be, like speed. that screen pass he scored on against the 49ers, mm-hmm. the cut he made on the safety. I mean, he, you, he didn't slow down at all. No. He was at full speed through the entire cut. Uh, and so I think he is really special in that way. I mean, you do the thing with going up to 20, 25 carries is you, I think there is reason to be concerned if he can hold up over 17 yeah. games doing that. And I think we saw some of that concern even in the preseason and training camp with how they kind of eased him into things. But yeah, I mean, the offense is totally different with the ball in his hands and defenses have to account for him. I mean, I think that that's some of the best stuff we've seen from Anthony Lynn. Uh, we saw more of the two back look. Um, yes, we did in this game. I Thank think some God. of the best stuff we've seen from them has been <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. some of the best stuff we've seen has been even if Swift or Hawkinson isn't getting the ball, putting them in motion uh, or making it look like the play is going to them right. is causing all sorts of problems for the defense because they have to overreact to those guys, and then you can open up some other things. They've got some cool stuff. Uh, they did the slice <laughs> pass to Swift. That's not fair. Out of the tw- out of the twenty one, I mean, they do have some things they can do um, that creates unique challenges, especially with the offensive line the way it is. And I, you know, and I, it was good to see Anthony Lynn uh, continue to add more to it. And I think there'll be more. You know, we even saw a little bit of. Um, you know, the, it didn't work, but, um, they got, they got Sewell out there on the bubble. I mean, there was the, they tried the bubble screen where, you know, Sewell's pulling out. We saw Sewell do some of that in college. I, I thought you were going to talk about the double, well, the I was double pass. Say, I probably wouldn't let Swift throw it again, but like, <laughs> other than that, it was good to see them go, go to some more of that stuff with the, with the two backs out there together. Some of the motion, we saw the jet little pop pass to Swift. You can do that. All things that you need to do to keep on film, you know, for other teams to pay attention to. And, you know, you look look at the box score at the end. Swift has 14 carries and seven targets. Like for me, that's that's about what you want. I think and, and Jamal Williams is at 12 carries and two targets. I mean, you know, that I think that something in there is what you're is what you're looking for. You need to find ways to get Swift um action as much as possible, and Goff needs to be comfortable. Uh, kind of maybe even looking for him earlier, I would say, in, in some routes, which shouldn't be a problem, right? <laughs> I think with his, yeah. with his penchant to check down, that's something that should be comfortable for Goff, and Swift can take advantage of it. So I think that take advantage of it. Find the most you know efficiency you can out of that. And I think that's – right now that's the best thing they have, and clearly that's what they need to you know kind of lean on going forward. Yeah, they only averaged 3.4 yards per carry, but this was one of those games you always hear – uh, coaches and announcers talk about using the pass game as an extension of the run. Right. Game. Swift averaged eight, exactly. eight and a half yards per catch. Williams averaged 12 and a half yards on his two catches. Uh, Raymond, who they used in the screen game, averaged over 11. Right. So these are things you can do. Uh, yeah, those are know, basically this, runs. I mean, like, yeah, to me, right. to, yeah, to me, they were more or less all effect, you know, for all intents and purposes, this felt like a game where you were averaging five yards carry. And it, right. and it wasn't, but like, that's a great point because, 
that's what it felt like. And I think that's how the game flowed. Yeah. And that's why I brought it up like 3.4 mm-hmm. yards. I, I saw that and I sort of did a double take because it just felt it really did. It felt like they were super effective with the run game mm-hmm. and on straight runs, they were OK. But <laughs> using yeah, right. the backs everywhere, they did really well. Um, you mentioned the line. I did want to talk about that a little bit because even Campbell said, you know, that was not Sewell's best right. game. I think it was probably I think we can pretty clearly say it was his worst right. blocking game of yes. the three so far. Um, the right side, I did think played pretty well. As I mentioned, in our observations, like I thought Matt Nelson probably played his best game. Yeah, I think Vitae has been playing pretty well, but the Ravens, especially in that first half, the Lions just could not figure out those blitzes they were getting from the Ravens. And so I wonder how much of that's the line, how much that is Lynn, how much of that is golf. I'm not seeing those blitzes before they happen. Like, where do you place the blame for problems like that? Some of it's the Ravens because they blitz on every play. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that's something that they knew. Right. So like I put a lot of that on golf and the offensive line, but I put a lot of that on, on golf as well. um, Because that's a game where you go into that game and you know that, the Ravens play more cover zero than anybody in the league. And they, their whole thing is just trying to find ways to mess with your gaps, mess with your, mess with your line up front, give you different looks, uh, you know, load to this side, load to that side, seven guys up front, nobody back, like, and they're sending pressures from all over the damn place. So you have to know that you're going to, you know, if you're quarterback, your, your head's on a swivel. And I would say that you're going to get hit. Like you're going to get hit. And there were some throws in the first half that I was disappointed to see Goff sort of <laughs> shy away from, you know, like step, you know, that's the thing you talk about, you know, uh, in Little League with the with a batter, you don't want him to have his foot fall out of the bucket. It's the same thing with a quarterback. You want the front foot to land straight, step into the throw, you're going to get hit, but that's the job. You're getting paid 20 something million dollars a year. Yeah, I don't know I what else over, to say. Like, I looked over at you after a couple of those throws in the first half, and it was like the uh, it was like Peyton come on, on those man. Monday nighters yeah. after the, a pick six. Like, like just what? What in the world? These are throws that he's capable of making. Like we've seen him do it. Put your foot down, step into the ball, and throw it. That's what I was disappointed with. And I think golf because I think golf's better than that. And I think that that's the stuff if that. I think that he needs to get out of his head and, and, and get away from it. I'd like to see him get it out of his head because I do think he's better. And we've talked about this all year. Goff is a better football player than a lot of the stuff that we see on the field because so much of the things that hold him back are mental. And to me, that that's another example. Got to be faster in your head and you've got to be more willing and knowing that you're just going to take a hit. Stand in there and, and throw it. Because there was a couple, I mean, there was a first down that they should have had earlier in the game to, um, I want to say it was Raymond or Fells or somebody on the outside that was like, he was open. The ball was like four yards short because Goff's like ducking away in the face of pressure that hadn't even hit him yet. And it's like, the line wasn't great either, but I need more from the quarterback in the pocket too. He needs to be more comfortable in there and it's just not there yet. The receivers... um like I said, I think it is a fair question to ask, can we evaluate Jared Goff right now with the receivers yeah. the way that they are? Because, right. as I mentioned, I think losing Tyrell Williams was a big hit. They were counting on Brashad Perriman to be part of this offense, and he never did anything. Like right. That was yeah. over from the moment he got here. St. <laughs> yeah, right. Brown hasn't quite 
Right. No. Clicked yet. the way we thought maybe it would. I think some of that's maybe you know just the He's usage blocking, of the play but yeah, calling, right, but yeah. um, I agree. It hasn't. He hasn't had that breakthrough performance. So, you know, you're down to what Khalif Raymond had ten targets. No one else. <laughs> no other wide receiver had more than one. Oh God. Hodge, Cephas, St. Brown, Benson all had one apiece. That was it for the whole receiving course. Uh, and, 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 if you, and real quick, if you pulled the listeners of the show, would any of them know who Hodge's first name is? <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Go ahead. Jesus. And, and yeah, I mean, and those plays went for 19 yards. So you had four <laughs> attempts to the receivers not named Khalif Raymond for 19 yards. Right. So is it fair to evaluate Jared Goff with this receiving core? I don't want to spoil what I'm doing uh, for later yeah. in this week. I and I I'm probably going to end up hedging a little bit because I think it's fair to evaluate some of the stuff you're talking about. It's fair to evaluate, you know, the blitz recognition pre-snap and the ability to stand in the pocket and make a throw. It's certainly fair to ask why he's not throwing the ball downfield more and that's something that I I will point out in the the story that there there are some plays here where, like you said, the Ravens had eight or nine up near the line of scrimmage almost the entire game. Sometimes you just got to throw it. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to give your guys a chance downfield to go make a play. And he's had some opportunities that he has chosen not to take. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't know that it's I don't know that you can fully evaluate Jared Goff because this is it's not guys aren't running wide open all over the place. And he's just not seeing them. He is missing some of those throws. He's making some bad throws. But I don't know. Where, where do you fall? Like, how do I, we, what do uh, we take away from Goff's first three weeks? I think you just have to be super objective with it. I think the Lions can evaluate him. For fans, I think it's going to be harder. And you really have to, really have to, you know, pay probably more nuanced attention because the thing of it is, and we've said this a few times, uh, he's going to look worse than he probably is in certain spots because he doesn't have anybody that's good except for Swift and Hawkinson. He doesn't have anybody that can make him look good. He doesn't have anybody that he can just like give the ball to and be like, Oh, that was a 70 yard pass that went three yards in the air. Right? Like he doesn't really have anybody that can do that for him. He doesn't have anybody that can bail him out. And he really didn't have anybody in L uh, with the Rams necessarily that could do that, except he had a coach who, (laughs) who could kind of do that for him. Right? So, I think the difference is, is all of his um, mistakes are, and it's the same for everybody on the team, but like all of his mistakes are being pronounced that much more because the Lions just have no margin for error. So I think he's going to look worse than he does to the naked eye a lot of times. Like there's going to be times where you think he's playing bad that he's actually probably playing okay, right? Like I think that's going to happen this season and it's happened already. We've seen a few stretches this year where people have been like, what the hell's off doing? I'm like, well, he's probably being okay. And I... <laughs> I think to be fair on my criticisms, people on me, like I probably need to be better with that because there are times where it's like, yeah, no, that's not, there's nothing he can do there. Like, what do you want him to do? Like some of those times it's like, it is what it is, but I do think you can fairly judge him on the areas where he needs to improve because you know what Jared Goff is at this point. He's not a rookie. He's not a first year player. You know, the areas of growth that he needs to get better at. And it's the things we've just talked about. It's, you know, being better in the face of pressure, having a plan in the pocket. Like how many more times are we going to, are we going to have to watch him roll out the wrong way and, and get sacked on a 15 oh, yard spinning, sack where it's man. like, Goff, just throw it away. You know, like 
have a better plan, right? Like take, and he did to, to the point earlier about, you know, taking chances sometimes on the field. He's getting better at that. It's not, it's not like overwhelming, but he is getting better. Took a chance to Raymond and, you know, like we talked about earlier, he gets bumped off his route. It doesn't work. Took a chance to Cephas later and you get a flag. Like some things are, it's, it's, it's getting better one percentage point at a time, but it is getting better. And I think that that rate obviously has to go up. I do think the Lions have enough to to fairly judge Jared Goff because they know all the nuance and they know the things to look at. But from a fan standpoint about making the determination of, like, are they losing the game just because of Jared Goff? No. Like, you know, if he, if he in a game like this, absolutely not. He didn't turn it over. And I think that at the end of the day, if, if Goff's not turning it over, you know what? Like, all the things you're asking him to do, he's a 70% passer in this game. He didn't turn it over. He didn't make big plays for you. But he didn't screw you either. And I think that that's right now, you know, one of those things that you're just going to have to live with. So uh, it's a hard conversation, but it's it's an interesting one. And I'm curious on your thoughts on yeah. the whole thing too here. Well, I think the question more isn't, you know, is he losing games right now? It's, is he going, can he be the quarterback in two years when this is yeah, right. better in theory? And I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think you make a really good point that, and I and I am with you in that I'm guilty of it too. We've been telling people since they got golf, everyone needs to kind of reset their expectations. Yeah. And I think we probably need to remind ourselves of that sometimes because there are some plays out there where you're you look back at him and he's got some opportunities deep and it's maybe you know, the pocket's breaking down a little. It's probably his third or fourth read is that deep ball and you know, in your mind, you're, you look at it and say, well, I right. mean, throw it to the deep guy. And I don't know <laughs> that that's how this offense is supposed to operate. And I don't right, know exactly. that that's how Jared Goff is ever going to operate. Like if it was Stafford back there, a couple of these looks, you know, I've got one for this story. I'm working on uh, one like screen grab from the Packers game. Mm-hmm. They, they put, uh, they had three receivers and Hawkinson, and then they released Swift out of the backfield and Swift was kind of wide open. Hawkinson ran about 15 yards turned around four packers boxed him <laughs> he had four <laughs> packers coverage guys around him so what you ended up with was an underneath route to st brown yeah. or to uh i don't remember who it was same i think it was st brown so you had yeah. swift went out in the flat st brown i think he threw the ball to st brown for like four yards right but you had four defenders around hawkinson <laughs> so what you wound up with was you had Raymond running a deep post with just a safety on his back hip, and you had St. Brown running a wheel mm. route, or uh, Trinity Benson running a wheel route uh, up the sideline one-on-one yeah, against exactly. the corner. And if it was Stafford, that ball's probably going to Khalif Raymond or to Trinity Benson yeah. 40 yards downfield against in one-on-one and say, just go make, go make a, a play, play for us. Right, yeah. I don't know that they feel the way uh, like you don't have Marvin Jones anymore. So maybe you don't take those shots with Trinity Benson mm-hmm. and with Kadero Hodge. Yeah. And, right. You know, maybe this is just what the offense is. And I'm sure some of the message from Dan Campbell is for Jared Goff to do what he's been doing. Don't throw it downfield. If a guy's not wide, we don't want a shot up the sideline you know, one-on-one that's well covered necessarily. If you get six, get six. Yes. And uh, and so I think that that, to me, that is maybe more 
the challenge in evaluating golf than the receiver position is just what are the demands on him in this offense? Because I don't think they're asking him to get out there and just rip it. No, like, I think no, this is no, what no, they no, want no. him to be. Yeah. There's a risk quotient here, right? Like, especially for this team right now, but it, it could be this way always. I don't know that. But like for right now, it absolutely is because we just said it earlier. The Lions have a shot. They'll have a shot to win almost every game they're in or maybe every game they're in if they can get to the fourth quarter with with Anthony Lynn still having the run as a viable option. And the only way that's going to happen is if Goff takes care of the ball and doesn't put them in situations where, hey, you guys wanted me to take a shot there, and I did, and we turned it over. <laughs> so it's like now we can't, you know, now we're behind and this is not good. So, like, those are things as they go forward. It's you're working on his confidence. You're working on all these things with him fitting inside this offense that we really don't even know what it quite looks like yet. Can you judge him completely right now? Absolutely not. Uh, is he being judged fair in the public? No, probably not. He probably never will be, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Uh, but can he be judged fairly by the Lions? I do think yes. I do think yes. I do think when Holmes said that, and Holmes, I thought, went a little far <laughs> with like, I think we've got great receivers. <laughs> like, I don't know if he needed to say that. Like, necessarily, I get why he did, I guess, right? But like... I think that the Lions, they know the situation. They know everything that's going on here. They have all the information, and they know, sure. just because they're not telling us, they know what his weak spots are. <laughs> you know, So right, right. I think they can judge him, and I think they can make that determination. But, yeah, for the for the average eye, you know, and us included, you know, in that conversation, it is harder because he's dealing with the same stuff that everybody else is. And I think that that's also, yeah, we, we do need to make sure we probably hammer that as well because no one is uh, immune to criticism here, of course, but, you know. Everyone's dealing with the Lions rebuild in the same kind of uh, way. And I think that's that should be noted as well. And the Ravens, that that wasn't necessarily a Jared Goff-specific game plan from the Ravens. That's what no. they do. Yeah, they are going to bring game. the house after you. Don't and care who you it is. And if you want to throw deep, go ahead and throw deep. And usually, you don't have time for receivers to get 30 yards downfield mm-hmm. because the pass rush is on you. So I think that we have to mention that too when we talk about Jared Goff's performance in that game and the just yep. how... I guess conservative it wound up looking, but I just overall in general, as I've been saying since the start, I think there need to be at least one or two more moments in every game where mm-hmm. Goff just says, all right, someone get us 40 yards. Yeah. And right. he takes a shot because it, if you're getting those one-on-one opportunities, whether it's a safety or a corner, you know, he's had some chances with Hawkinson one-on-one that he hasn't taken. There aren't, I mean, I mean, the odds that those balls are going to get picked off are pretty low if yeah. you throw them where they're supposed to be thrown. Um, maybe you get it knocked down. Maybe you get a pass interference flag. Like, if you've got those chances, I think every once in a while you've got to take them. And like you said, I, I agree you took that. a couple of them. I'd like to see two or three more per yeah. game just because I think for this offense, it would make a huge difference to be able to pick up two or three chunk play plays like that. Um, yeah, just so loosen my, it up. Loosen it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's my thing. I'd like to see a little bit more because I think there are like, again, their guys are not open. Guys are not running free. No, no. Yeah. But you're getting them into some spots that should be favorable for you and not necessarily taking advantage of that. And so that's maybe the next step here mm-hmm. is just to force those a little bit more. So, yeah, uh, I would agree with that. How was uh, I missed Matthew Stafford on the Manning 
podcast. Oh, he was tune in until the second quarter. He was a uh, classic Stafford. He was incredibly boring. On so the, the worst, the worst guest. <laughs> he was for the three worst weeks, guest so. of the day. He was followed by LeBron, who might have been the best guest. Who um, LeBron and Eli immediately started bashing LeBron's high school quarterback on on the broadcast <laughs> for reasons no one can figure out. But Stafford was boring. Yeah, didn't really say much. Now Peyton did did did. Uh, Forget uh, he uh, accidentally needled him about never winning a division, and Stafford handled that question in stride. But uh, he's all smiles. I think that you oh, can I'm see sure. that, right? Like, I'm be loving it. Um, I think Allison, our editor, Allison Gonsnikowitz, our editor here in Detroit, mentioned uh, to us like he looks more relaxed. You can see in his face, and I thought that was true. Like he does look <laughs> much more. He looks better. How about that? And I think understandably so, right? It's been a long uh, twelve years or whatever it was for Stafford here, so. I don't know. Good for him. I mean, he's playing really, really well. Like, I don't know yeah. how else, as well as I think we thought possible <laughs> to this point. I don't know. He looks really good. Really, right? Really that's good. that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to turn this into a Stafford yeah, discussion, right. but that that people seem surprised that he's playing this well, and those of us who no. have watched him here, like, well, <laughs> I told you, Stafford's either <laughs> Stafford is either going to go fifteen and one and win the NFL MVP, or he's going to go nine and zero and break his back. <laughs> Like one of the two, yeah. one of the two. Hopefully for Stafford, he has a great year because it looks like uh, he's really enjoying it. So all things good mm-hmm. there so far. Well, the Lions will see him in a few weeks in yep. LA. I'm sure that'll be a fun oh one, god uh, for Aaron Glenn. <laughs> um, yeah, but right. <laughs> uh, Chicago this weekend at uh, their place and uh, Minnesota in two weeks. So uh, you know a stretch here where the Lions, like we said, they can sort of figure out what this team's going to be made of. Maybe mm-hmm. I mean Chicago this is, is winnable. This is pretty winnable. ripe for the picking. It feels like yeah. so. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, I don't. How many sacks they give up last week? Like twelve? I mean, Miles Garrett had like five himself. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they it, had eight or nine. You're, you get a rookie quarterback here. Maybe I don't maybe. know who's playing quarterback. A bad <laughs> offense. <clears throat> a bad coach. Right? Yeah. Like. Uh, yep. I mean, all the things that we – the Bears used to get these freebies against Patricia. Okay, we'll see. Let's see if Cam- <laughs> uh, Campbell can uh, do the same thing to Nagy. Well, we'll the, and the, well, uh, we're over an hour here, so yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> bring it to an end. But I think that the just to go circle back to a point you made early on, I think one of the big tests so far, like this Bears matchup, you can look at now and say, well, maybe the, the Lions might have an advantage in the coaching staff. Good. And I think that that was one of the things that you – like that, yeah. the, we talk about the Ravens being a measuring stick. You know, Campbell said it was sort of a test. You see how the team's going to respond against that level of competition, against that gritty a team that's going to bring it on every down. And I think they responded well. But that's also your coaching staff against one of the elite staffs mm-hmm. in yes, the NFL. My God. Yeah. And you came out pretty well. Right. And so I think that that's also something that we can be tracking here is just how these coaches are performing against the other staffs. And, you know, if it feels like they're getting yeah. – teams are running circles around them, and that's a problem. It hasn't really felt like that yet. La- so Last thing I'm going to say, and I'll let you wrap this up, is I watched Campbell with the binoculars, and then my second thing with the binoculars was to find John Harbaugh, who apart from looking shocked and his glasses had fallen <laughs> off and his, like, whatever, the first thing he did was run to Dan Campbell and give him a huge hug and tell him something for, like, two minutes. So all these coaches after these games are running over to him and telling him, like, keep up, keep doing whatever the hell it is you're doing. 
Right. And I think it's time for people in the league, and you know, we wrote about this a couple weeks ago, and this is the last thing I'll say today, but it's time for people in the league to start paying attention, I think, to Dan Campbell's pretty good coach, because I think so far it's not, you know, they're 0-3, but the plan has been pretty good, and I think it's been hard to ignore. All right, so we'll be back next Tuesday to see, maybe we'll have a Lions win to talk about. Uh, maybe. Still waiting for one. We didn't get one in the preseason either, so we're still waiting for one uh, to discuss, but uh, it should be interesting to see how they fare. In Chicago, like I said, we'll be back on Tuesday. Make sure you get over to theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription, we're still running our 50% off deals for a few more weeks here, I think. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, Go back and read Nick's story. sat down recently with Frank Ragnow and watched some Mm, film. It was super interesting. Ragnow is... What a player. He's a great (laughs) player. and extremely smart and fun to be around Mm -hmm, so uh, i assume he's going to be here for a while so uh, make sure you go check that out we obviously had our coverage coming out of the ravens game too and we'll have some stuff here running into chicago so uh yeah head over to theathletic.com for those stories you can get the ad-free version of the podcast on the app as well otherwise find us at spotify uh, google play apple Podcasts, all those other spots so for nick i'm chris thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon